Good morning. The Christian philosopher Peter Kreeft once wrote that there are three things that we all need. Things that we know that we absolutely need and look for. And three, these three things which he calls the three transcendentals are in the order of their importance. Truth first, and then goodness, and then beauty. He said this is the order in, this, in which these things exist in nature. But he said that the way we usually respond to these three transcendentals is the exact opposite order. So what catches our attention first is not the truth, but the beauty first, and then the goodness, and then the truth. Basically, what Peter Kreeft is saying is that human beings are not inherently truth seekers. We want to look for something that is cool more than we want to look for something that is true. That's why you have longer lines at theaters than churches. Interestingly enough, this was the exact order in which I converted out of my family's faith of Islam, became an atheist until I became a Christian. On April 1st, 2011, a Turkish 737 like this one landed at the JFK airport, carrying people from Turkey, some European countries, and one man from Iraq that was about to experience a radical change in his life. A few days earlier, I had quit my job in which I worked as a civil engineer, said the final goodbyes to my family, came to this nation with one bag, with only enough money for me to survive for weeks, half of which I paid my lawyer, who applied for my asylum status, and with only one contact, a poor woman in the Amish country of Pennsylvania. The planned part of that trip was a one-week tour in New York City. I was admitted as a visitor. The unplanned part, everything else. I just came to the station to be free and to have dignity, especially to know how it feels like to have the freedom of worshiping the God I believe in, the way I believe is true. Within a few months after my arrival, I met over a thousand people who rushed to call me a brother. And God led me through those months of insecurities and uncertainties in the Amish country until at the very time when I ran out of the last dollar that I brought with me from Iraq, I started to get paid to be completely devoted to study the book I had a secret love affair with back in my hometown of Baghdad. My name is Wissam. I am 40. I was born and raised in Baghdad, Iraq in 1979. A few months after my birth, Ayatollah Khomeini led the Islamic Revolution in the neighboring Iran. A few months later, Saddam Hussein became the president of Iraq. A few months later, the war between the two countries started to last for eight years. That was my childhood. I was born and raised in a war zone. A classic example of a world that was not told to love one another. Shortly, the end of, uh, shortly after the end of the Iraq-Iran war, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. We had the sanctions that lasted for 13 years in which my whole family lived on $1 a month. And we had the Gulf War of 1991. Now, up until that time, Saddam Hussein was not a religious leader, as many Americans think. He was a secular military dictator obsessed with people like Stalin. And he wanted to impose a socialist system on the predominantly Muslim people of Iraq. 
But he realized that he could not impose a secular system on the Iraqi people when there was a Shiite revolt against him in the south. Tens of thousands of the Iraqi Shiites revolted against him. So after he crushed that revolt, killing tens of thousands of his own people, he started to put on a show of Islam. He wrote Allahu Akbar on the Iraqi flag. He ordered the Quran to be taught in the Iraqi schools before graduating from high school. He built hundreds and hundreds of mosques all over Iraq, and he started to overhaul the Iraqi community from being predominantly secular to being predominantly religious. My father retired in 1992, pretty much did not do anything ever since. My mom, a hard-working, self-sacrificing woman, starting work, working as a seamstress, mending the clothes of our neighborhood to provide for me and my family in the Iraqi version of the Great Depression. It was the middle of the 1990s when I was in the middle of my teenage years. When it was obvious to everybody that Iraq was at enmity with everything that is different in the world. We did not have the terrorism and the Al-Qaeda and the car bombs and the beheading that is ravaging the Middle East now. But all of that was a culture preached in mosques, communicated through the limited government channels to us. We had only two government-run TV channels, three government newspapers, and two government radio stations, and that's it. The internet, the cell phones, the satellite channels already common in all the neighboring countries of Iraq were banned under Saddam Hussein, and the government only told us what they wanted us to learn. Our government told me to hate you when I did not know you, when I did not have any reason to hate you. Folks, it is ironic that it was hate that eventually caused me to reject Islam, only to end up in the United States and see the exact same hate in the social media against my own people or against each other. Hate is evil, whether it is in Iraq or the United States. It is not good. There was always the expectation of war. There was all the, the, the culture uh, the, the, that, that made us feel that there was something that was brewing, something that was bubbling up. And I decided not to be part of any culture that preached hatred and war. Like every Iraqi, I had that vacuum inside of me. Something did not click. Something did not make sense. Unlike the religious people of the Muslim community of Iraq, I was not distracted from realizing that vacuum. Praying five times a day, fasting every Ramadan, reading the Quran without bothering to understand what the Quran really says. And I wanted to satisfy that, that vacuum that was inside of me. In all fairness, we did not starve for food or water because of the sanctioned years. But we were starving for a different kind of bread and a different kind of water that we did not even know. My four-year-old sister passed away in 1996. My mom, a panicked mother in the funeral of her daughter, was begging for someone to provide her with a glimpse of hope that that innocent child went to heaven. No one was able to provide her with that hope, and the only man who was knowledgeable in the Quran in the funeral told her she will be judged for the very first breath she took in when she was born. That's when I started to think, what kind of God is that? A few months later, in that same summer holiday, of 1996, my uncle got cancer. He was the uncle that I loved the most. He was so kind, so humorous, so generous. We had so many inside jokes. But when he was in his deathbed, he would cry every time I talked with him. Not only because he saw his death coming, but because for the first time in his life, being a devout Muslim, he could not go to the bathroom to get ritually clean, to do the prayers every Muslim is required to do five times a day. 
He was in bed soiling himself. He thought God was done with him, and he died without hope. That's when I decided that's it between me and God, rejected Islam, and became an atheist. I thought I would be happy if I were an atheist. Imagine living in a world that does not have any God. You can do whatever you want, and there is a beginning and an end to your life, and you are not accountable before any God. I thought I would be happy, especially because the only thing that the Quran promises and assures of is hellfire. What's the point of piety anyway? But somewhere deep inside me, I was not happy. I was looking for a sense of direction. I was looking for uh, uh, justice. I was looking for an ear that listens to me and an eye that watches over me. And in order for me to satisfy that vacuum that was inside of me, I wanted to entertain and distract myself listening to music, reading books, watching movies. And most of those books that I read and the movies that I watched quoted the Bible. Now, a Muslim believes, believe it or not, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Muslims do not have any issue with the inspiration of the Bible. They have an issue with the preservation of the Bible. They teach that the Bible that they are told to follow has been lost and that this Bible that we have today is, is made up. Well, I was not religious anyway, so I did not care. But those books and those movies continue to quote the Bible. In fact, I was in my second year in college when the first Mission Impossible movie was released. Tom Cruise picked the Gideon's Bible and read Job 3.14. That was the first time I ever see the Bible. I got so curious to get myself a copy of the Bible only to understand what those movies and those books were saying. So I went to a flea market in Baghdad and bought my first Bible. And with the 15 cents that I had back then, the equivalent of 15 cents, the only Bible that I bought was the Gospel of John. I thought that was the entire Bible. I did not find Job 3.14 in the Gospel of John, so I thought, well, Muslims were right. Everybody is making up a different Bible. I mean, who's John anyway? Something caught my attention in the Gospel of John. The way Jesus addressed the hypocritical religious authorities of his time, calling them liars. Something you're not supposed to do in a Muslim community. I was raised by two devout Muslim parents who taught me that every imam is a steward of God's word. And we should not question them, even when they misquote their own scriptures. Well, not Jesus in that movie that I had just bought, who called his religious authorities liars, hypocrites. I have always identified myself as a rebel, just like Jesus in that book. Did not care, though threw the gospel away, finished my second year in college. When I was in the summer holiday between the second and the third year, I was back in that same flea market flipping the New Testament. I saw the gospel of John in the New Testament, and that was the first time in my life I learned that the gospel of John was not another Bible, as Muslims claim. It was part of a bigger book, so I bought the New Testament. Few days later, I realized that the New Testament was part of another bigger book. I ran out of money. I borrowed money from my cousin and bought my first complete Bible. I was shocked to see an accurate description of the history and geography of a world that I am familiar with. Babylon, that's 50 miles to the south of my parents' house. The Babylonians and the Assyrians are the native Iraqis. Nebuchadnezzar, his poster is next to Saddam Hussein's picture in every street corner in Iraq. The captivity, the pride of the Iraqi history that we studied in the seventh grade. And I was thinking to myself, man, the guy who made up this book really knew his history and geography. The beauty of the Bible caught my attention first. 
the Bible, according to an agnostic author called Thomas Foster, who wrote a book called How to Read Literature Like a Professor, is the most inspiring piece of literature that was ever written. You may be a believer or not, but every story, every fairy tale, every movie, song, painting that you have ever been introduced to is inspired at least indirectly by the Bible. And then I started to fall in love with the goodness of the Bible way before I believed in its truth. The Bible is a good book. The Bible is a book that preaches love and not hate, believe it or not. It's a book that preaches forgiveness and not vengeance. Benevolence, integrity, a book that preaches peace and not violence, things that I did not usually associate with a religious book. I started to be intrigued with the Bible. I had so many questions, but I did not have any Christian friends in my neighborhood to ask. I did not remember having any Christian friends in the first two years in school, in college. But when the third year started, I saw a man with a big cross on his shirt. Yes, we have Christians in Iraq, and we have churches, and we have Bibles. I went to that man. I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, are you a devout Christian? Do you know your Bible? I got myself a copy of the Bible. I'm reading it. I'm intrigued uh, with that book. I have a few questions. He said, go ahead. I said, do you Christians believe that you're saved by God's grace or by your obedience? Yeah, I read the book of Romans. Like every other preacher, he did not directly answer my question. but took the opportunity to take me aside like he'd been waiting for that opportunity to share the gospel with me for the first time in my life. And he explained to me how God is a holy, just God that does not tolerate sin, but at the same time, he's a loving God, so he sent his son to take our sins on him and die on the cross for us. It's a combination of God's mercy and grace and our obedience. I said, interesting. I have one more question. Do you really believe that? You know, here in the Western world, you describe an absolute truth as of a gospel truth. Back where I came from, the word Bible is synonymous with corruption. When somebody deceives you, you would say something like, your rhetoric is as corrupt as the Bible. Now, I know that the most educated part of the world is too smart to follow a made-up book, but do you Christians really believe that? Or, 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 or do you follow a book that teaches that God is three persons when he's one? only to spite us Muslims. He said, oh yeah, we believe that the Bible is true. Next day, he brought me some literature that talked about how many tens of thousands of Bible manuscripts we have today in the museums from different times, from different places, written in different languages, all matching each other. There is no way the Islamic claim that the Bible is corrupt is true. And I was so happy to learn that the book that had the solution to every problem my community is suffering from turned out to be true. I was so happy to learn that the book that was both beautiful and good turned out to be true. I thought everybody else would be as happy. I was wrong. You see, it is unthinkable in a then-closed community, what we call today Iraq, Saddam Hussein's Iraq. I was born and raised in a total prison. People did not know what the gospel is. We just could not, they could not go online. And the only Christian programs that they could listen to were on the shortwave radio stations at midnight. 
The first person I tried to share the gospel with was the woman that I loved the most. That woman that gave all that she had and all that she is for me, knowing that on one day I would probably leave her for good. My mom used to wake up before me every morning to make breakfast for me, even to the very last day before I came to the United States. And at that time, she would not answer when I say, good morning, mom. One morning, I said, mom, what's wrong? She turned to me with tears on her cheeks, grabbed me by the collar, and told me, please tell me what did I fail to do to you that you do this thing to me? I said, what thing? She said, I've been working day and night, wearing my eyes out on that sewing machine to make a human being out of you and send you to school, and you've been using my money to buy that blasphemous book that I've been seeing among your college books. Look at yourself, grow up. With that, with the lack of wisdom, the lack of encouragement, with the fact that I started to lose most of my Muslim friends and did not gain any new Christian friends, with the fact that I started to get harassed by the religious authorities in my neighborhood, I came to that point where I thought to myself, this is, this is just all wrong. Maybe there is no God. Maybe the gospel was another philosophy I wanted to entertain myself with. And that's when I rejected the Christian faith gave away my Bible. Only a few months later, I realized that the hope and the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the assurance that I had when I claimed God's promises in the Bible as my own would not be replaced with any security in life. I'd rather be a persecuted Christian with hope than a comfortable non-believer with no hope so I got myself a new Bible in English this time so my mom would not understand what I'm reading. And I continued to read the Bible in secret for the rest of my stay in Baghdad. My biggest challenge was that it would take me 12 years going to every single church building in Baghdad trying to get baptized in vain. So I finished school in 2000, finished my military service as a Republican guard in 2002, was employed as a sanitary engineer. The American army came in 2003. Thank you for your service. For the first time, we started to be open to the rest of the world. I would go online. We started to have the internet. I would go online, download sermons and, and Christian songs and upload them to my MP3 player, listen to them when I take the bus to work as I read a chapter from the Bible. In fact, the first, what would a single guy in his mid-20s download from the internet when he first sees it? Exactly, Esau, the Bible program, and everything continued to have the same tone to it until that one morning in October of 2009 when I was working for the Iraqi Department of Public Works, a nine-floor, 1,500-employee building, making a phone call on the way from the second to the first floor when a truck bomb rocked that building, and a second truck bomb rocked a second building a few hundred feet away a few seconds later, which was the Baghdad City Hall. 1,500 people got killed or injured in this double explosion. I came out of it without a scratch. I was in the concrete case, the, the concrete staircase, right in the middle of that pillar of smoke. We moved to a substitute building in another neighborhood in Baghdad that had an internet cafe next to it. I used to go there every afternoon after work to check my email. I had to pay a flat rate to use the internet for an hour. Didn't take me more than a few minutes to see my email after which I would be Google around random things on the internet. And one time, I randomly Googled free Bible study. And I signed up for this website. And that's when everything started to change. A woman was assigned to grade my Bible tests. She introduced herself and she said, 
she asked me if I had any prayer requests. I said, yeah, prayer requests. Ma'am, I've been a believer for 12 years already, and this is Baghdad, where we don't exactly have a baptistry in every street corner. Would you please pray that I can be baptized? And would you please pray that I can live in a Christian-friendly community where I can say Jesus is Lord without getting killed right on the spot? That same day, April 13, 2010, I came across a free book called Bible Basics, written by a British man called Duncan Heaster, who had a ministry in Latvia. I ordered a copy of that book, gave my mailing address. The man answered me with an automatic email introducing himself and his ministry. And he said, and I believe you need to be immersed in water if you wanted to become a Christian. And if you're not baptized, I can baptize you. I said, thank you, sir. I'm from Baghdad. Read the address. <laughs> he said, I'm coming to Iraq and baptizing you. May 26, 2010. He came all the way from Latvia to northern Iraq paid for my bus ticket to go from Baghdad to northern Iraq and baptized me in a bathtub in a hotel room. That woman that was grading my Bible tests used to be a caregiver for a quadriplegic man in the Amish country of Pennsylvania in a Christian man's house. And she told the Christian man about me who told her, tell that Iraqi if he plans to come over here, he can stay with us indefinitely for free and I will help him establish his life. That woman turned out to be the only contact I had before I came to the United States. If we, a few weeks later, the American embassy in Baghdad started issuing personal visas for Iraqis for the first time in 20 years since the Gulf War. So I applied for the visa, quit my job, bought the plane ticket, packed my bag, said the final goodbyes to my family, flew all the way from Baghdad to New York City, took the bus from Port Authority to Reading, Pennsylvania, where, where, where that woman and that man were waiting for me. Freedom and depression. I came from the seven million people metropolis of Baghdad and ended up in the woods of the Amish country. <laughs> the money that I brought with me was getting less. The government did not promptly answer my asylum application. Uh, for the first time in my life, I could not go to the grocery store or take the bus or take the train to go take a haircut or something. But that was a very spiritually ref refreshing part of my life. And we had a Bible study and a hymn sing almost every day. And in one hymn sing, I met the first member of the Lord's Church who asked me, young man, come over here. What brought you all the way from Baghdad to this Amish country? And he would be the first man who would listen to what you're listening to this morning as my story. When I was done, he said, say that again. I told him my story again. He said, you need to share that in my congregation. I said, sir, only a few months ago, I could not go to church without raising unnecessary suspicions. And I have never spoken in public, not in my second language. He said, you need to testify to what Jesus has been doing in your life. And he had me speaking on a Sunday morning at his congregation, the Camp Hill Church of Christ in Pennsylvania, the preacher of which turned out to be a graduate of Sunset International Bible Institute. He told me, you need to go to a Bible school. I said, no, I'm not going to school, and I don't have any money. He said, we will raise support money for you. And he started raising support money for me before he could pronounce my last name. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was in the school chapel in front of 200 people with the dean of students asking me about my plans after I graduate. Like I've been planning this my whole life. I said, what plans? How did I end up here? And then I remembered, 
that for years, every night back in my hometown of Baghdad, I used to beg God to be able to do what you are doing this morning. Just to have the freedom to go to church to worship him. To listen to a story that encourages me. To study his word. To fellowship with other believers. To sing his praises without fear. And in return, I'm going to serve him for the rest of my life. Every Christian has a gift, a talent that we are expected to invest in God's kingdom. And my gift happens to be my Arabic culture and my Muslim background. I told him, I plan to take the gospel to the Muslim communities in the United States. This is the first part of the story. The second part, I will be sharing that in my next class about evangelism. And that is the part from after I graduated from SIBI and uh, started the Arab Christian ministry uh, until now, in which I will also be sharing tips and tricks on how to share the gospel with your Muslim neighbor. Eight years ago, I used to hide my faith to stay alive. Today, I share my faith to make a living. Look at me in the eye and tell me there is no God. I would like to conclude with this shorter story that happened within a story. In November of 2004, I was a sanitary engineer working for the Iraqi Department of Public Works. Assigned with another engineer to go to a city called Fallujah, the biggest county in Iraq, 40 miles to the west of Baghdad. That city used to be reputed to be very rich. Their people loved their guns, and they were very religious. So kind of like Texas, rich, religious, and they have guns. <laughs> but that was right after the American army retook it from Al-Qaeda. And it was not the same. And we were assigned to go there to restore the basic services of water and sewerage and to assess the damages to the pumping stations. We met with two local engineers there. We used our measuring tapes and leveling devices to take measurements to a piece of land that would be the future Fallujah Water Department. We had shish kebab in one of the few surviving uh, outdoor restaurants in the, in the city, and we were on our way to a sewerage lifting station when we were stuck in a traffic jam. Traffic jam. The city is empty. It's gray. It's quiet. All buildings are destroyed. It looks like a scene from a post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie. Where did this traffic jam come from? They said, beats us. It turned out to be a traffic jam made by an American army checkpoint specifically for us. They pointed their guns toward us, told us to drive into an abandoned alleyway, open the doors, put your hands in the air, put your faces on the wall. The American soldier pointed his rifle to the back of my head. Oh, they saw us taking the measurements to that piece of land. They thought we were terrorists planning for a mortar attack. I was looking at that ugly concrete block wall with only one thought in my mind. This is a summary execution. In a few seconds, I will meet a God that is so holy, he would, not pleased, he would not be pleased with most of what my sinful soul has been doing. I only had one concern. Remember the time. That was 2004. Six years after I believed. Six years before I was baptized. God, I tried. I was holding my bag that had my papers. 
And I said to the American soldier, sir, can I lower my hand? It's tired. He said, do you speak English? <laughs> a couple of minutes and a few radio calls later, they apologized to us and let us go. My point, we live here in a community, in a world that does not only tolerate your Christian faith, not only supports it, but also celebrates it. And yet, people are telling you that you do not need to obey the gospel to become a Christian. Something that was obvious even to an Iraqi college kid in 1998, reading the Bible with no Christian background at all. The Bible says that the gospel that I'm preaching to you this morning is the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised on the third day, and that the way for us to attain salvation is not to ask Jesus into our hearts, but to obey that gospel in baptism. It took me 12 years before I found somebody who baptized me in Iraq. It would take you less than that here in the United States. So if you have not done what the Bible says yet, then please do so as we stand and sing.